All right, everybody, while we wait for these speakers, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and get us started with some of the introductions. And again, we may have more speakers joining later. But to start us off, we've got a lot of cybersecurity experts on this panel with decades of combined experience in the sector. And I'm really excited. I think I'm personally going to learn a lot today, and I think you guys will too. So starting us off, today's sponsor is Cybeats, a rapidly expanding cybersecurity company focused on software security solutions. They offer a software as a service product called the SBOM Studio, which scans software for vulnerabilities and threats, facilitates regulatory compliance by sharing SBOMs with government agencies, and provides a centralized tool for managing cyber risk. They've been providing services to U.S. infrastructure and Fortune 500 companies. The company is attempting to be positioned as a crucial player in the growing market for software safety and compliance with the SBOM market expected to grow substantially. With us today, we have the CEO of Cyber, Justin Ledger, as well as the president of Scribe, Clark Kent. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Very well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having us. Thank you both for being here. I think we're going to learn a lot today. And thanks again to Cybeats for sponsoring this panel. Wouldn't have it without them. Next, we've got Jackie Singh. Jackie is a freelance writer and technical expert in the field of information security. Jackie's held a number of significant roles in operational cybersecurity, including principal consultant at Mandiant and FireEye, global director of incident response at Intel Security and McAfee. She covers an array of topics such as cybercrime, privacy surveillance, and disinformation, and has a lot of great information on her newsletter and website called Hacking But Legal, which you should be subscribed to. Thank you for lending us your expertise today, Jackie. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Unusual Whales, for hosting this space, and uh, shout out to Cybeats for hosting and uh, for sponsoring, and, and to my fellow guest speakers, a big hello, and hello to all of you listening out there. Um, that was an awesome intro. I think I don't need to add too much to it. I'm a cybersecurity professional and a writer who has a background in the military as a veteran and as a former defense contractor. I worked as the global director of incident response at Intel and McAfee on the Biden campaign in 2020 as the lead incident responder and threat analyst, and also as an anti-surveillance activist at the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that focuses on abolishing and litigating against the government use of surveillance. But these days, I spend most of my time in private consulting, and I spend a lot of my time focusing on threats. So I'm, I'm noticing that our global threat environment is heating up in the prelude to the next U.S. election. So I spend a lot of time talking about data privacy legislation and cyber threat intelligence. So I'm uh, really excited to be here today. Thank you so much for the intro, Unusual Whales. Thank you so much for accepting. I mean, this this panel, I think, is going to be very, very, very informative. I mean, you, you've all got really long tenureship in the field, and it's something that I personally don't know a ton about, so I'm pretty excited. So kind of to start us off here, let's just look at kind of like an overview of the topic cybersecurity here. Uh, in, in reference to business, a publication by McKinsey and company highlights that nearly 80% of observed threat groups and more than 40% of observed malware in 2021 were previously unseen. So completely new. We've seen growing technology, technological dependencies become more complicated and concentrated. Goldman Sachs has valued cybersecurity as one of the fastest growing fields 
And kind of a question to start us off here with the full panel. How is the field growing? What's missing in the field? And how best do we capitalize on the growth of this field? Let's start with Jackie, and then I'll kick it over to both Justin and Clark. Well, I, you weren't going to throw me a softball first, huh? <laughs> I got to start off exciting, you know? Listen, that's a really tough question because we, we have to... We have to deconflict always in cybersecurity what the priorities truly are, right? When we think about cybersecurity, we're talking about a team sport and we're talking about something that requires a greater level of coordination, visibility, and prioritization. And I think that's where a lot of organizations go wrong is in simply not understanding what the right things are to do, what they should be tackling first, and in what order they should be tackling them. And it seems like that that sense of confusion extends over our industry, right? We see folks talk about uh, having many unfilled roles, lots of jobs that need to be filled in cybersecurity. But we also see unmet demand from the job seeker side. We're also seeing lots of layoffs in cybersecurity. So I think there has to be a continual right-sizing of cybersecurity, right? What are you doing? How are you doing it? And what are you spending on? but that should extend even wider out from the organization over the industry itself. Uh, I think we're gonna start seeing a little bit more of a right-sizing of the industry, especially as we witness the um, inclusion of AI to cybersecurity and, and how the impact of AI will entirely reshape that labor market. So it's a complicated question, but I hope I added some, uh, some thoughts to it there. You definitely did, and you touched on a number of topics that we're gonna be getting to. Clark or Justin, do you have any comments there as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, it, it is a, cha a constantly changing attack surface, right? Uh, you mentioned that there's a massive growth in, in vulnerabilities. Uh, in many cases, those are vulnerabilities that have always been there. And it's a lack of transparency into what's actually in the software that we use um, that uh, keeps that, that those vulnerabilities hidden. And at, to Jackie's point, we've got a lot of noise in the space and actually prioritizing and managing uh, how we're going to attack those. I can't solve every vulnerability in my software today, but maybe I can get to one. Maybe I can get to five. And finding the signal in the noise is incredibly important, especially as that attack surface grows and changes as we bring in new technologies. Uh, we've got to have tools and standards that are going to enable us to get to those really critical vulnerabilities that we've got to solve today. I think, um, I think Jackie and Justin, uh, you know, definitely hit the nail on the head um, um, uh, on this. And, and there's, you know, you could talk about it for hours or answer this question for hours. I think, you know, be, being a generalist coming from the finance side, uh, personally, um, cybersecurity is really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, as an industry, is a bit of a moving target. You know, it's, it's obviously very complex. Um, you know, people... Uh, cybersecurity is, a, you know, a keystroke, um, you know, a security is something we all think of or our passwords, but right down to securing the code on the devices that are in our houses um, to, um, you know, uh, and the concerns around those as it relates to, um, uh, you know, the the global, global uh, you know, social economic um, uh, kind of situation. It, it's, it's massively complex. And for us ourselves uh, uh, at Cybeats um, or or with the Cybeats product, um, you know this industry, this software supply chain uh, industry or subsector in, in cybersecurity, is one that's 
um, you know, really budding for the first time. Uh, you know, the, for the first time, uh, we, you know, the, the, the government and industry uh, is starting to talk about, okay, what's actually in the software that's on all these devices that we're wearing. We're walking around, we wake, we wake up in the morning, we're next to five devices, they're all connected, they're all gathering information. We get in our cars, we drive to Starbucks, we join, uh, you know, join there, we pay with our phones, we go, we go back to the office. Uh, during COVID, uh, everybody, you know, all of these, these workers um, in every industry brought their work home and were then kind of, you know, forced to bring certain, uh, you know, devices in and out of different places. And we, until very recently, just the last few years, um, have started to care about what's actually on the software. Where is it coming from? And, uh, and so it's just a, it's a very, very wide topic, cybersecurity. And I think um, people, you know, as individuals uh, are behind on understanding exactly what, you know, what it entails and, and, and how it is affecting them uh, or can affect them as, as citizens. Thank you all. Really good explanations there. And I, I think I kind of want to delve a little further into kind of the same topic and spin it toward spin it toward kind of the demand for cybersecurity solutions. Because in that in that same release that McKinsey did, they noted as well that the the currently available commercial solutions don't necessarily fully meet customer demands. Now I'm wondering, and this will be again to the whole panel, we'll we'll maybe start with Clark, Justin, then Jackie here. In your opinion, what are some of the key shortcomings of current safeguards and how would these need to further develop to meet the demand of rising threats? I guess I'll jump in if uh, if uh, nobody else will. Um, uh, you know, again, Nick, I think it, it comes back to uh, exactly what what part of, of the problem or of cybersecurity are we talking about? Um, you know, uh, in the case, I mean, really the, the most important thing, I think if you talk to, and, and we've got several people on the panel here that, that uh, have backgrounds in, um, you know, certainly in cybersecurity dealing with, uh, uh, with, with the government and, and um, you know, the, the top of the food chain in that. Um, it really comes down to, you know, for us, what, what do we play a role in? Um, well, we're looking at the code that's on all of the devices that are that uh, or we're providing a product that allows companies uh, to keep track of the code that's on all of their products so that uh, as they change, um, you know, as um, open source code changes, uh, you know, they they uh, they have a record of, of what that is and where those vulnerabilities might be. Um, but that's not a problem that that a consumer or, um, you know, other businesses that are not manufacturing uh, software solutions can solve. Uh, that's a problem only for the manufacturers. Um, uh, so, you know, when you start talking about the demand, I mean, right now, what's driving what we're doing is, uh, this is these are brand new mandates um, that have came out in the last couple of years from the federal government in the, in the U.S. saying, look, um, for the first time, we're going to force uh, companies starting uh, with the big manufacturers in the more sensitive, you know, areas like uh, healthcare and and uh, and finance, um, we're going to force you to keep track of your software instead of that being a black hole of whatever your developers are putting on it. Um, we're going to force that. So with the FDA uh, recently coming out and enforcing uh, this actual, you know, this actual SBOM compliance, uh, now you just have a wave of companies trying to catch up. And uh, and so so from our perspective, that's just one little tiny sector of the industry in supply chain security. 
um, that doesn't that doesn't uh, um, uh, address uh, you know what Jackie does and and what the others on the panel do. Yeah, I th yeah there there are massive gaps, uh, and I, I would love to hear Jackie's perspective. I'm obsessed with transparency in software. So as we know, software is made up of lots of different components and libraries. Um, much of it open source. In, in many cases, you know, it's over 90% of software is open source, source software. Um, and developers will tell you, they don't know what's not in every line of code. They don't know what vulnerabilities are necessarily there. When they come up, it gets flagged and that information gets shared. Uh, but, you know, there's lots of traps lying in wait. Um, and trying to identify those and prioritize those and tackle those, I think, is a, a big gap that exists today. Uh, and developers have, and, and, and software consumers that track vulnerabilities, they've got so much information coming at them in terms of what vulnerabilities are there, they need a way to be able to prioritize that. That's, that's what we're tackling. We're looking at a way to try to manage the vulnerability lifecycle. We're trying to, we're, we're leveraging uh, a new standard called Software Bill of Materials or SBOM. Um, that's essentially an ingredients list for what's in your software. And, and as Clark mentioned, it's, it's been mandated by government uh, in some cases, uh, very specifically um, within the medical device industry. Uh, FDA has, uh, has said that, you know, you will submit software bills of material for your new medical devices to get approved. Uh, we recently saw the NSA come out with guidance for implementing SBOM. We actually got mentioned within that document, which was um, kind, of, kind of neat for us. Um, and uh, we also have seen at the federal level, uh, a mandate, a requirement that if you wish to do business with the United States government at any level, uh, or at the federal level rather, you need to submit a software bill of materials for any device or software uh, that uh, is going to be procured. And that came through executive order a few years ago. Uh, so there's major, major uh, push for increased transparency. And it's, it's kind of a, an interesting concept when you think about it, that we're going to increase security through transparency. You know, often you're trying to protect data and, and put it in a little box and hope that nobody ever sees it. But this is kind of taking a different approach uh, through, through more information and more sharing of information. Uh, and I think uh, certainly what we're seeing is a, a huge demand, particularly like the bigger the company, the more complex their environment, um, there's a bigger demand for a means of managing all of this information uh, and, and actually finding the useful intelligence out of it. Jackie? Yeah, I'm actually, I want to segue this a little bit to Jackie, actually. I'm, I'm curious, Jackie, your comments on, you know, the changing requirements in the software side for government, given your background, Jackie. Yeah, I could touch on on everything that uh, Clark and Justin just, just mentioned. I mean, I think it's really important to talk about SBOM within the context of organizations prioritizing and sharing information and and like ultimately one of the things that's going to help us in cybersecurity as i mentioned it's a team sport is reducing silos today many different organizations create 
many different <laughs> improvements uh, to cybersecurity data sets, to cybersecurity products and tools. And they do this internally and they don't share as much as they could or should, in my opinion. And so the opportunity to reduce silos is enabled by something like a software bill of materials, because what we're really talking about is exactly what uh, Justin just said. You know, how do we increase transparency? How do we ensure that the vast number, the vast lines of third-party code, of open source code, something that came from an organization outside of the one that produced the product, which every organization today relies on third-party code, open source code. Uh, it's actually shocking to find out how much we do. But even in the case of products like, say, SolarWinds, uh, I think one of the major reasons and impetus for the federal government to push forward with this executive order for cybersecurity is a sense through growing awareness of incidents like the SolarWinds hack that there are some problems in the space that we need to remedy from a position of shifting left. Uh, shifting left is the perspective that there are issues that affect us individually as people. There are issues that affect corporations, right? There are issues that affect communities. But many of the issues that end up affecting us all the way down that chain originated much farther up the chain, you know, in some kind of organization or in a relationship between organizations that might have been missing or incorrect or was never created. Uh, that um, would help the community overall to realize that a coordination problem exists, right? So when we talk about SBOMs, we're sharing information about how our systems are constructed, how our products are constructed in order to give everyone a greater visibility into what the potential problems or vulnerabilities might be with that particular software, right? In the case of SolarWinds, hackers gained access to this tech company in uh, 2019. In my immediate recollection was late 2019. And then they proceeded to uh, to run around in this tech company's network for quite some time after that, maybe six, eight months or something after that. And during this time, they were able to create what's called a supply chain compromise. They were able to modify software, which was then downloaded by customers of this company, which then created many secondary and tertiary negative effects. And so in order to prevent those third, you know, second and third order effects that end up affecting people like us all the way down the chain, people who don't have the ability to necessarily influence these things at a, at a, at a from a larger uh, scale, we, we uh, you know, lose the ability to protect ourselves as a country and as communities and as organizations. So the, the greater amount of coordination that we can engage in, the reduction of silos, the shifting left, all of these things work together to improve what we do procedurally in cybersecurity. I'd just like to add there, sorry, sorry. Um, you know, it's it's very easy, you know, the guys that are on the call here, um, Justin, uh, um, Jackie and myself, obviously we work in the industry, um, so we're very close to the topic. So it's very easy once we get, you know, on a platform like this to start getting into the minutia and, and, and forgetting uh, that a lot of the people that, that um, are, you know, most of the audience you know, we're probably talking way over their head, uh, you know, within the first three sentences. Uh, the bottom line is, which which I found out with with what we've done here, um, uh, you know, at, at Cybeats, is that all of the, the devices, all of the code, all of the all of the everything around you that has software on it, uh, chances are 
the majority of the software that's sitting on whatever device that is, and and this, you know your TV, your your watch, whatever it is, your uh, you know connected security system, over seventy percent, it's very likely over seventy percent of the code on that device uh, came from open source, meaning. Uh, when that when that product was developed, and this is by the big companies too, this is not like this is not a little company thing. It's 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 an industry across the industry. When you're, and I'm not going to say any uh, you know any individual brand because I don't want, I don't want to be sued. But when when your TV, whatever major manufacturer, uh, when that's developed, seventy to probably ninety percent of the of the code on that TV was taken uh, from from the internet. Uh, from from you know out there in cyberspace, uh, probably not that much is known about where where the code uh, started. It might have been from from earlier uh, versions of that TV, but we're talking about code literally that has just been taken off the internet and stuck on that device. The and obviously you know as we talk and as we started. Um, and you hear, you know, every day now, you know, cybersecurity, it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, you can't get away from it. Um, it's, it's, it's uh, easy to foresee that these old components, uh, software components taken off the internet uh, are going to have uh, over time, they're going to break down, or you're going to have hackers who are going to figure out how to manipulate them. And they're going to get in, they're going to listen to you, or they're going to, you know, control your car, or they're going to do whatever that is. But but literally, I just think it's 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 an important thing to to highlight, um, just how crazy that is. I think to the, the average person, I don't think would know. Oh yeah, yeah, that code was not developed by insert big. Uh, they're just just whipped off the internet, you know. And up until very recently, that organization may not have even had a record of the code that's on that specific you know model of your TV. So um, I just I just want to back that up as as kind of the guy that's the you know the the late uh, late joiner into the industry. I found that as a consumer just absolutely wild. So so kind of to just touch on on that a little bit, just you know the common knowledge that I think would be required for this sector in general, and for our listeners here, for those who don't know. Uh, Justin Clark or Jackie, anyone feel free. Could you kind of describe what SBOM is and why it's important to our listeners? Yeah, certainly. Um, I'll, I'll take this one. SBOM is a standard software bill of materials. Um, and this was developed jointly between um, industry and government, uh, led by uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, they came up with a, a methodology and, and uh, documentation standards for identifying software components, libraries, licenses, dependencies, uh, basically all the building blocks of software. And the SBOM, the closest analogy that I've been able to come up with is that of a food label or an ingredients list rather. Um, it tells you where what's in it. You have some sense of where it came from. Like it's, it's, we can't imagine buying food and not knowing where it came from or having confidence that somebody knows where it came from. So if it's, you know, got arsenic in it, you'd be able to find out, okay, where it came from, how did it get there? Where was it sold? And, and what, how do we get it off the shelves and how do we inform people that this, so they don't consume it? Uh, software, which I, I would say is just as important <laughs> to our, certainly our modern society, um, 
we, we don't have those same kind of visibility. So SBOM can give us that. And uh, to Jackie's point around sharing, it's, it's really essential that we have a standard way uh, not that we do our own little thing and, and come up with our bespoke solution, but that there's a way to share this information broadly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll call it a specific example. There, within in different industries, uh, there are things called information sharing and analysis centers. These are like peer-to-peer -peer intelligence sharing communities. Um, and the Health Isaac recently uh, started a project with SideEats uh, to help improve that information sharing uh, uh, in soft with regard to software vulnerabilities uh, at the at the industry level, uh, so you know there this wouldn't have been possible without something like SBOM. Certainly not at the same scale and across industries. So SBOM is very transformational. It's I think it's very akin to yeah that mandate to put food labels on food way back in whenever that, the 19th century or whenever that was. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, uh, you know, another thing, um, taking it back, just, just, uh, you know, as an analogy, I mean, so S bomb, what does it stand for? Uh, the S is for software. Uh, the bomb is bill of materials. Um, I think as long as anybody, probably, uh, any list, anybody listening to this and certainly the people on this, this, um, this panel or, or discussion, um, as long as we've been alive, auto manufacturers have had to have a bill of materials where they know uh, if a hood latch is manufactured in a certain uh, facility in Korea or wherever it is, what batch that hood latch comes from, what factory it comes from, you know, uh, what time that was done, what alloy that that specific, you know, component piece of the car uh, is supposed to consist of. So that, you know, later on the car, the car is out in, in um, you know, the cars get out into the market and it's found that, OK, there's a there's a problem with a specific, uh, you know, batch of hood latches where they're, you know, they're the alloys off, whatever it is. Bad analogy. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm the dumb guy here um, or bad uh, uh, example. But um, you, you have a recall. You bring the car in and they know exactly, you know, to some degree which cars are out there in the market uh, that may have that hood latch. Well, that's, that's what SBOM is essentially uh, for software. It's, it's, you now have to have a bill of materials. You got to have, have a list uh, of the components, you know, and you can think about these software components like bricks, uh, you know, bricks in a wall. Uh, you have to have a list of the that uh, version of software on that car that's what the sbom is so it's software bill of materials sbom um, and it's just a standard way of uh, of displaying or of, of of listing the components the bill of materials inside a device or or a software um, so it's it's you know these analogies sometimes we get you know we get uh, so used to using them without really breaking it down or or explaining but uh, it's very simple and in fact as i say uh, I think most people would be surprised that we're just talking about this now in the last, you know, three years, four years. Um, we're really talking about 
forcing this, having a record of these things. Uh, that's what that is. Um, but, uh, but Jackie and, and uh, Justin will probably come on and say I was totally wrong. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm way off the mark. No way. No way. You're totally right. <laughs> I'll just say, hey, man, the, uh, the dumb guy, the dumb guy title, that one's reserved for me today. I'll tell you, I will, I will challenge you uh, all day on that, Nick. <laughs> We're going to be neck and neck on, uh, on that one. Um, but no, you know, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, obviously um, being facetious in that point, but it is, it's, it's quite wild, you know, with, uh, with us and with, with what's happened with the company, I'll just tell you, um, shameless plug here. Uh, but um, really, you know, our guys, uh, you know, we, we acquired a, a, um, a cybersecurity company uh, with a, with a, a few brilliant guys uh, behind it who are developing. We found that, uh, or, or, you know, within the first kind of, you know, let's say 90 days of, of, of acquiring the company and uh, kind of onboarding the team, um, the guys collectively came up with a concept of how we could leverage this and bet on the potential for the the government to adopt this this S bomb. This goes back, you know, a little over eighteen months ago, and uh, we we said, that, you know, the guys said, look, you know, we we have a, an infrastructure that we can take advantage of. Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a punt. We don't know if the government's going to going to do this. There was an executive order or a couple executive orders out from uh, from Trump uh, over his term. Uh, then then uh, but when Biden came in, it was really, you know, uh, you know, nobody knew, uh, you know, what was going to happen. W you know, we, we took a punt on that. Um, the guys got developing. We made this product. I, I couldn't believe personally that this didn't exist in the market. And I will tell you, Nick, we didn't uh, you know, we got very fortunate. We, we built the product and, and literally, I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, like clockwork. Uh, Biden came out with an executive order, really aggressive. Jackie was probably behind it. She probably made it happen. So we, we owe her big, big time. We got to get her stock options. Uh, but uh, Biden came out, uh, announced this SBOM executive order, um, uh, really, and a very aggressive tone around it. We were not even done the product. I think we put out that, that we had a beta at that point. Um, and the phone rang and it was a Fortune 500 company or 100 company saying, uh, look, we'd like to try your product. And we had our first client before the product was done, uh, signed on, which was a, you know, a top five multinational company. Um, that's how, how recent this whole mandate uh, uh, is. You know, in the last 24 months, companies are starting to, to adopt this. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, 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 you know, the catch up for us, something so simple, everybody gets lost in, in how technical cybersecurity is. This is not all that technical. It's, it's a matter of knowing what is in what we're consuming and we consume more software than we do potato chips uh, now. And the software is coming from, you know, those potato chips are coming from factories that we know nothing about. So one thing I want to touch on, especially given, you know, the concept that that was a pretty firmly held executive order with firm language, Jackie, just in general, kind of what do you see as as the most misunderstandings in the space itself? Now, like in, in the current U.S. administration, for example, or even other administrations across the world, are governments in general kind of adept enough to to deal with the growing vectors of attacks? 
I think from an offensive perspective, governments are doing pretty well. <laughs> from a defensive perspective, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it, there, it's kind of there's a fig leaf. You know, it's like oh, we're being attacked, we're being attacked, but there isn't a lot of conversation about what we're doing offensively. So it's a little funny there. You know, the the truth is, people don't have an innate sense of cyber risk the same way that we understand physical risk. So when we talk about uh, these executive orders and the impetus that the federal government has to do something on cybersecurity, to do something effective, there tends to be a long arc of time there with regard to safety and security implementation. So it's really heartening to hear that uh, Cybeats has been successful in kind of moving that forward and uh, presenting solutions that align with the problem set that we have, right? In general, the longer time that a software has existed especially without updates, the more likely it is to be vulnerable, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, right? Whether those bugs came as a result of um, a complexity in the code, there's some parts of the code that interact with each other that produce a condition at some point that could you know, lead someone to have a problem, or it could be an intentional insertion of a bug, right? I think there's, there's been some allusion to that on the call today. Uh, and generally speaking, older code and legacy programming languages and frameworks are much more vulnerable compared to newer frameworks. But a lot of that legacy stuff underpins our Internet today and underpins a lot of the technology that we use today. And it's important to recognize that resourced actors, right, national level actors, I, I don't say nation state because that's not an accurate geopolitical uh, label or description. Right. We're talking about real countries that are not. Uh, in some state of establishment, they're established nations. And they spend a lot of money to put professional hackers like me in buildings where they do nothing but sit around all day and think about how to exploit vulnerable software. And the more people that use it, or the more people that are targeted, organizations that are specifically targeted that use it, the more likely it is that there are more people thinking about how to exploit it. And with all of that said, complexity and the human factors of cyber certainly make all of that worse. So the the transparency that people like me and 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 uh, certainly Justin and Clark are uh, looking for in the industry, it helps all of us who focus on those types of problems to do the work of reducing our own organizational risk and protecting all of us overall a little bit easier. So um, just a shout out to all of the topics that have been discussed so far because they're really important. You know, um, it can be uh, easy as a cybersecurity pro to think like, oh, that's, you know, it's just a product. But what we're talking about is a product that enables a procedure, that enables a process, a methodology that everyone needs to pick up to be safer and, and realistically to just reduce their own risk. I mean, the SolarWinds hack was extremely negative for them as, an, as a company. And I don't think any organization wants to think that there's something that they failed to do that then led to a measurable increase in risk or actual harm to either their customers or some other unintended third party. So uh, really valuable. This is executive order from my opinion, for, from my perspective, in my opinion. It signals that we've got to make the federal government system stronger and safer. Important to note that even 15 years ago when I was working as a defense contractor and managing my own systems, I had to keep very careful track of what it was that I was using, how I was using it. There was a, an ATO authorization process that essentially broke out these materials, but it didn't do so in a way that was as structured as the SBOM process. So I think all of these things that were, that were driving in the executive order are really valuable. Um, we're also talking about reporting cyber incidents 
and doing so in a way that is timely. <laughs> because if we don't report the incidents in a manner that is timely, we may not be able to help other affected people. Um, removing uh, weird barriers, contractual barriers, or you know whatever those barriers might be to sharing information so that we can um, break down those silos. I think that's all super valuable, right? These are all matters of national security from my perspective. And I think uh, that perspective is shared at the federal government today, which is really uh, a relief for me as a cybersecurity pro. Jackie, 100%, yeah. 100%. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll, I have a, a prediction and uh, I don't know whether or not it's something I dreamed up or it's something that somebody told me, uh, but I'll tell you that I believe very firmly uh, within the next, certainly within the next 15 years, um, one of the attributes or, or factors of defining um, the values as, uh, you know, as being a citizen or, or the security of being a citizen of a, of a certain com- uh, country or region uh, is going to be defined by how, how secure they are from a cybersecurity perspective. Because what, what we, you know, what we sometimes gloss over is, um, is it important if your refrigerator that that has uh, you know on your Wi-Fi that you can whatever um, you know manage your 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 applications your or your um, you know appliances in your house with does it matter if those are hacked is somebody going to mess with my dishes and wash them more and waste waste time and energy and whatever um, no uh, that's not the problem the problem is that those those devices sit on a network and that network. Uh, you know, interacts with other devices that you have that have sensitive information on them. And, you know, everything about our, you know, our finances, our health, our citizenship, uh, um, you know, all the crucial details of being a citizen, of being a a human being living in uh, wherever you're living, the U.S. or Canada, uh, it's all exposed sitting on these networks. And if one of those little chips, one of those little things that you join, your car, you the coffee shop at Starbucks, whatever it is, uh, if one of those uh, are, are are not secure, and you end up with a piece of software on, on your your phone that comes back into your network, uh, you got a big problem, and that could be you know your identity theft. It could be all, all these things. Um, but to add to Jackie's uh, you know um, talk about offensive versus defensive, one of the one of the the most um, I would say eye-opening conversations that, that I've had since since working in this industry is I, I spoke with a very high-level um, uh, individual um, about, uh, you know, what's going on behind closed doors uh, at the federal level and what are they doing and, and how, how are things working and whatever. And, you know, it's his opinion that the only way that you can secure the country really is by Number one, uh, securing, making sure that we know what's on all these devices. Uh, we know what's on our code. And number two, then making sure that these these devices actually all have security on, uh, you know, from medical devices to, um, you know, your car to all these things. That's the only way you can really secure. What he shared with me was, uh, you know, infrastructure wise, um, in doing tests over a period of time, um, and I'm, I'm just being careful in what I share, uh, but um, it doesn't take a whole lot uh, for an external, you know, enemy to come in and shut down, you know, uh, certain infrastructures. Uh, and now these could be, t- you know, temporary impacts, but they're open. You know, it's not just private businesses. 
Um, so, you know, Jackie, I'm sure because she comes from that, that, uh, you know, that, that side is, is, uh, you know, maybe dancing around certain points, not wanting to say things. I'm the guy that'll probably end up, uh, you know, on the news uh, disappearing or something, obviously joking, but, um, uh, but no, it's, 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 uh, it's a major, major issue as it comes down, boils down to us as secure citizens, uh, health, um, uh, money, citizenship, travel, um, security in general. It is, it is a extremely critical thing that I, that I think, you know, the majority of the population probably never pays mind to, um, you know, they're worried about COVID putting a mask on, but they're walking around with a bunch of stuff that may compromise their, you know, their health or their, their family, uh, by not, um, and, and let me be straight. Most of the, these problems, uh, is certainly the problems that we, we address. They're not problems that you as a, an individual can solve. This is, this is about big industry, uh, big organizations, um, taking, you know, taking in, you know, account of, of their software. And by the way, um, what's happened since putting SBOM, uh, you know, the software bill of materials into place is it's also been found to be a uh, best practice. Companies are actually adopting. We have clients now that are coming on that have nothing to do with uh, any regulated market. They're not from the FDA. They're not from whatever. Maybe they're in crypto. Maybe they're in gaming. Maybe they're in, in other things. And they're adopting SBOM. There's a lot of markets. There's a few, few, uh, you know, uh, big regions around the world that have already adopted SBOM because, because you actually, uh, you know, uh, this might blow everybody away. Um, but if you keep, keep a record of your software and you keep on top of that, uh, you know, you keep a product safer, you, you know, you, you have a better product, you have, you save money by not having to, to plug holes later. Uh, and you're more efficient. Like who, who would think that by keeping a record of what's, what's on your product would work. Uh, but it does. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an ongoing threat every day. And uh, it's going to be a, um, this S bomb is a huge wave since we, um, since we started, uh, you know, we developed this product in 18 months. Um, we basically f- went from a concept to our first year commercial within 18 months, um, literally walking in, chewing gum in the beginning at, uh, you know, um, having our first clients that were, uh, you know, uh, several, you know, tens of billion dollar uh, uh, companies, our first clients come in while we're finishing the product. And while we're raising money as a, uh, you know, as a small startup to support it, um, you know, the wave has just started. Uh, I can tell you this, this industry is um, on an SBOM perspective, it, it is, it's exploding. Uh, the FDA in, um, I think it was, what, what was it, Justin? Was it, was it September, October came in and, and it was October. On. Yeah. And, 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 and can you detail that? Cause I think that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's the proofs in the pudding there with, with the, with the FDA doing what they're doing. Can you detail what, what that was? I think it's, um, you know, related to having S bombs in, in order to get uh, FDA approval. Yes. For new medical devices that uh, need approval by the FDA, there's a requirement to submit a software bill of materials. Um, and it, like you say, Clark, it's not just uh, on the regulatory side, right? Um, it's just best business practice. We've got analysts saying uh, that within the next couple of years, it's 60% of organizations acquiring software, um, particularly mission critical software, are going to require SBOM submission. Uh, so, to Jackie's earlier point, connecting the dots, sharing this intelligence, uh, trying to uh, 
create that transparency through information sharing is one of the key, one of the critical paths. It's on the critical path to securing uh, everything. So I'm I'm curious, just kind of on that that same topic of, you know, defensive posturing against any kind of any kind of cyber attacks. Uh, kind of at the at the current rate of growth, I think they're projecting that damage from cyber attacks will amount to about ten point five trillion dollars annually by twenty twenty five, and that's something like a three hundred percent increase from you know a decade prior twenty fifteen levels. Is it possible to keep up with that? And I guess kind of just in your opinion, we'll start with Jackie here. Why is it that it took so long to to mandatorily implement this kind of protection like the SBOM you've spoken about? That's a great question. <laughs> like I said, I don't think most people have an innate sense of cyber risk in the same manner as we understand physical risk. And we also perceive the risk of individual targeting to be really low which is usually correct as the resourcing costs needed to target a single individual remain fairly high, but we're still unable to prioritize and identify the riskiest behaviors, the most risky behaviors that we engage in that could lead us to become targeted through our own inadvertent actions, right? So for example, understanding the difference between say locking your front door at night and keeping your firewall on. And you know, the truth is that the TCP IP protocol that runs the internet accounts for more than 65,000 ports or doors to each system using it. And people aren't aware of that or that some varied code bases are actively waiting for the right knock or handshake to engage in some kind of communication that could let someone into your home without your knowledge. You know, so there is a there is a gap between our lay person's understanding of what the threat landscape truly is and what that looks like and the the understanding of how negative harmful situations were contributed to by a risky cybersecurity posture. Does that make sense? And so as a cybersecurity pro, as someone who, you know, helped advise companies that are fortune, you know, fortune 1000 level organizations about what they should be doing from a cyber perspective, it's all about preparation and getting ahead of problems. But the reality is that we're not always successful as cybersecurity pros in convincing companies to take the actions that they need to take. Because the resourcing that we're asking them to engage in, the amount of uh, man hours, right, labor, people, uh, uh, and, and just budget that it takes to successfully pull off a cybersecurity program often seems out of step or out of sync with the actual risk. And so we tend to often wait for something really bad, like the SolarWinds hack to happen which causes a sea change in the industry that creates a realization that is completely cultural, that things have to change. And we have some ideas about how to get them to change. And that's what we've got to work on and spend all our time working on. So again, it's just a long arc with regard to safety and security. You could look up the history of the seatbelt, for example, to get a sense of how long it took to get a seatbelt implemented. You know, it can be one human lifetime or so before we get from risk and understanding that risk and having an innate sense of it to being able to say, uh, lock our doors to turn on our firewall and to consider it rote practice as a normal thing that we do. Jackie, uh, j just given your background, obviously working at, uh, at, uh, you know, the, you know, the tip top, uh, um, 
of cybersecurity. What do you attribute the the tardiness to? Is it just you know that's how the government works? Um, to you know getting these things going and and paying attention defensively. Um, is is it just you know big wheels turn slow and these guys you know they don't see they're not up there at the podium you know getting votes by talking about how they're going to secure um, you know our our devices. Uh, what 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 do you what do you what do you kind of see? What can you say about that? I think that we have some some low level of technical understanding amongst our elected officials, generally speaking. And I think that is often reflected in the hearings that we've been seeing where we have tech CEOs showing up to um, justify or, you know, explain, have a conversation about some harms that elected officials are complaining about and bringing to them from their constituents. And you get the sense that they they aren't really um, in, involved enough in the digital sphere to truly get a sense of either how that impacts us or for the ones that do understand how it impacts us, they don't have the hands-on experience. And so they still are one level removed from the day-to-day lives that many Americans have where we we live our lives digitally. We use digital services all day, every day. <laughs> and uh, you know, many of us do that to varying degrees, but the reality is that uh, complexity is increasing. The access that people have to broadband is increasing. The number of malware samples every day is increasing. The number of ransomware attacks are increasing. The offensive incursions from other countries and you know countries engaging in uh, cyber situations that don't rise to the level of, uh, of a war declaration. We're just seeing more and more of that. And um, the, the opportunity, I think, is just to expand awareness, to continue expanding awareness amongst these people and to elect people who are willing to take advice from those who are not lobbyists. There are many lobbyists in Washington who do not necessarily have our best interests at heart, who, you know, I'm sorry, Cybeats, but they sometimes come no from, you know, not, <laughs> not you guys, not you guys, but I some, don't. you know, so they, they come from, they come from the big tech companies. Like I'm thinking, um, you know, like OpenAI, I'll throw a name out there, right. As a, as an example of a CEO who visited Washington in order to lobby for his company and succeeded very much in shifting the elected officials, general public perception of AI, what the product capabilities are, what the future is for it, and to get them to sit up and take notice. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of reactivity is partly driven by trends in the electorate and what it is that we pay attention to. You know, I don't think we we don't ask enough of our elected officials um, in, in the positions that they're in and the, the the paychecks that they make and the photo ops that they get, you know, some of these folks are not necessarily doing the right things from a policy and a governance perspective that are going to help move us forward. And so it really becomes about getting away from the chaos. You know, you mentioned uh, Donald Trump, right? We've got Joe Biden who came in. That was a chaotic situation, just shifting from uh, an R to a D. If we do it again, it'll be, you know, even more complex. We're having issues with transition, with handover. Uh, how do we uh, uh, reduce tribalism in order to increase that uh, transparency, to reduce the siloing, to work together as closely as we can to shift left? We can't do that without bipartisanship. Jackie, you, you know, you know, it's funny you say that because the the guy that or the person that I was mentioning before that was telling me the story about. Um, you know, working and and basically running simulations uh, at uh, at the you know the tip top level 
um, about going to cyber war with certain places and, and not getting results back that you that you want. Um, uh, he was there through or she he or she or whatever was there through um, both administrations. And uh, and I asked him, but so, you know, you're there through both administrations. You've got Trump, who obviously um, spends a lot of money uh, in uh, in that area uh, or supports that. Uh, and then you've got, you know, you've got the other side that comes in. You know, there must be some change. And, uh, you know, their feedback was, yeah, there's no there was no change at all. It uh, uh, on both of them. It was like, you know, um, you know, pushing a pushing a boulder uphill. Uh, you, you know, there's there's no there's nothing sexy yet about talking about what what our um, officials or what what, uh, you know, what the guys that are supposed to be working for us. Um, are doing to make us safer uh, from that perspective. And, and um, uh, you know, actually today I was talking with somebody and they referred to Log4j um, as like a 9-11 moment for, for software. And, um, and it's, it's, it's true, uh, you know, it's, a, it's probably a pretty good analogy uh, when you consider it. But, um, you know, the issue is, uh, you know, I, I would say 99 and a half out of 100 people that you talk to have no idea what what that is, Jackie. Do you do you um you know do do, do you, can you say can you say anything about Log4j? Are you know were you familiar with that situation? I would I'd imagine that that's um yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah Log4j Log4j was one of these open source uh, tools that we we talk about uh, corporations um, bringing into their environments, right? It's like a like a logging framework that allowed developers to um, log information. And some of that data could be user input, which was problematic. Um, but essentially there was a vulnerability in it that involved arbitrary code execution. Arbitrary code execution is kind of your worst category. It's when you can make software completely uh, ignore its own process and what it was trying to do and to execute your own code as the attacker, your own code, which is malicious instead. And so you know, the vulnerability is really old. It was really old. It had it had been around for like, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years or something uh, before and it the was story, identified. And the big story there was, um, or I, I think actually the big story there was um, you had, you had, you know, tier one companies, blue chip companies coming out and saying, you know, because there was a mad rush to figure out, okay, who has this, uh, mm -hmm. you, know, who, you know, who's exposed. Mm -hmm. And you had them saying publicly, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we've got our engineers on it, but we're not exactly sure if we have that in our in our products or if we have that. Mm. Or that. I, I think that was like, you know, to, you know, if, if, you, if you put that in 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 the context of, you know, we hear about, um, uh, you know, whatever E. coli in our, uh, uh, you know, in our whatever, whatever we're buying, you know, you've got a you've got a recall of food. If 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 one of our you know food manufacturers came back and said, you know, we really don't know where these cows came from or where this beef came from. Oh man, I, I, I think <laughs> you know, and it's and I, I think there'd be a lot of people going, okay, um, holy shit, like what what world are we living in? How does this company, you know, how would that company survive? Um, and yet that was pretty standard practice there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not sure where the what what code we got, what what we're, what we're exposed to. I mean. You know, you'd be drawn and quartered in in any other industry. Hyundai cannot have uh, you know a um, uh, you know parts of their car that they they've you know got off the back of a truck you know somewhere they don't know where it came from. Um, you know, yeah. if there's 
you know, I, and I think that like, we, we just let that happen. That log4j was important to people that understand what it is. It was, it was a non-issue and a, and a complete, you know, um, non-story for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't anything that the folks on the street were walking around talking about. You know, the the element of of state sponsorship obviously isn't anything that regular folks are tracking. And that's just, you know, the geopolitical aspect of cybersecurity just makes it even more complicated. But if you were to explain to regular folks, you know, how this vulnerability could impact them, it could literally imply that their systems can be taken over by anyone who is interested in using their technology capabilities for something else. So whether that's your system's power, right? The capabilities that you have on your system itself, the electricity that you have in your home, the bandwidth pipe that you have to your home, all of those are a valuable resource. And what bad guys often do is amass many large, uh, quote unquote, botnets of these kind of zombie systems that are comprised of like, you know, grandma's cable modem and uh, mom's Roku device, right? <laughs> these, these are all systems that, you know, are, are uh, given the same level of access to your home network as say your home PC would. So they get to do whatever they want with them. And if you happen to be someone who is a little bit more targeted, you maybe you're an activist, maybe you're a journalist, maybe you're a politician, maybe you uh, write on sensitive issues. For whatever reason, you've got a Rolodex that's attractive to others. You could find yourself on a very large list of systems that have been automatically exploited using a vulnerability like uh, Log4Shell, which w- related to the Log4J software. So, so have you, Jackie? Have, have you moved? Um, you know, from from your uh, in your your situation, uh, have you moved? You know, into the private market. Do, do you find that uh, there's more um, momentum there? Uh, you know, to to actually make change than there is uh, working. You know, in in uh, you know for for the powers that be? Uh, no, not so much. Not so much to be, to be frank with you. I see a lot of the same conversations at cybersecurity companies again and again um, that are, you know, just a little boring to me personally as a cybersecurity professional because yeah, it doesn't feel like, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a, you know, like a state of the art technology advancement in cybersecurity. It feels like the most of the work that we need to do is procedural and methodolo- methodological and focused on improving our labor force and right-sizing our labor force. What I want to do, and and hopefully hopefully we can get Justin back in here as well to kind of touch on this too, but we did we were touching a little bit on you know kind of the topic of moving forward now that now that companies are at least starting to implement what I think is pretty clear at this point in the discussion should have been implemented you know decade or two ago probably, but I'm I'm curious from the Cybeats perspective. Uh, kind of more how more how businesses are utilizing SBOMs now and kind of how specifically SBOM Studios being utilized, especially given I saw that Cybeach just released new news today about a three-year contract that was signed with a medical device manufacturer. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how kind of moving forward, how things like SBOM Studio are being utilized and, and how you see the trajectory this year and years forward, we'll start here with Clark of of Sbomb Studio. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to do so. I see that um, uh, that he's uh, he's working on on trying to join again. But um, uh, you know, so the the journey with this has been uh, obviously Biden came out with a with a very um, aggressive uh, um, you know mandate, uh, which certainly helped our business. Um, you know, the the initial 
wave uh, uh, was crazy. The background here is so scribe. Um, we are, you know, I guess what you'd call a, a venture builder. Um, we're a small team, uh, kind of techno commercial team uh, that uh, looks at opportunities, you know, higher risk type stuff um, that, uh, that, um, you know, in, in emergency in, in emerging markets that, that, um, you know, could, could, uh, um, we could take advantage of using, using our background, which is, um, you know, we've got a team that, uh, uh, uh has been developing a platform that, that has elements of AI and, um, uh, we'll call data data collection and and other kind of aspects uh, w- within that space. We look to deploy with 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 uh, you know in different verticals. Um, with with Cybeats, uh, we really I mean this company um, we literally acquired it uh, within three months. Um, you know had this concept of utilizing uh, the the platform. Uh, to build something for for SBOM for and what what we do you know very simply or what what Cybeats does um, uh, speaking as the parent co yeah so I, I'll I'll give you a little context about that one obviously uh, the client doesn't want us to name them otherwise I would so happily name them because you definitely all know it and probably buy their products but um, uh, obviously security right they don't always want people to know what capabilities uh, they have on the cyber front. Um, notwithstanding the transparency argument. But uh, that company was previously a client of ours. You know, they're one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, we started working with them last year and they they bought a one-year license from us, you know, new company, new capability. Uh, let's see how it goes. And yeah, uh, over the last couple of months, we've, we've been talking to them about uh, expanding their their license uh, and extending that for a further three years. Uh, so they used us for a year uh, and they just uh, bought another three, uh, which is huge validation of the product, in my opinion, huge validation of the team, huge validation of the concept of, of software build materials. And I think it's a re- very strong indicator about where this is going. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're, we're at a, point in the market right now where it's those large companies with complex uh, requirements, regulatory requirements uh, that need what we have. Like they genuinely need it. You know, when you have product market fit, it feels like you're being pulled. Uh, that's that's what's happening right now. Um, but I think what we're going to see over time is that uh, smaller companies that just want to have good uh, cyber hygiene um, are going to be implementing. It's not ever going to be something that the end user or, or end consumer needs to worry about, I don't think. Uh, but it's, it's very likely uh, as we see further supply chain attacks like Log4j, like SolarWinds, that people are going to want to know that the folks that are providing them with their software, with their devices, have taken steps to to secure that supply chain. So yeah, it's, it's, a it's a growing market and somehow Cybeats, you know, through a bit of luck and lots of hard work and, you know, uh, and the, you know, the experience of, of our team have been able to position ourselves pretty, pretty effectively um, to take, 
you know, to leverage that, that amazing growth. Uh, so it's, it's looking very good on, on the commercial front. Um, really it's, it's a matter of, of awareness and, uh, getting, getting the word out there that we've got the solution for this problem. Um, so I've, if I sound a bit harried, it's, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm run off my feet here. Uh, I go from, from call to call with, with client to client. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's been a, it's, um, just, just speaking as, as a shareholder, obviously. And, and, um, but it's, it's, it's been a, uh, uh, a very, um, hectic process in that, you know, the company went from, uh, a venture built, you know, you know, working uh, under Scribe, um, building the asset, the the commercial part of the company exploded. Uh, you know, we were Scribe is a development company. Uh, we we're, we're, we have nothing to do with commercial opportunity or, or commercial um, uh, activity, and uh, and overnight uh, we found ourselves, you know, servicing the biggest companies in the world. Um, and uh, you know, I think Cybeats within our first six months of being commercial, which was uh, you know, the product wasn't even done yet. Um, I think we had, you know, three, four contracts uh, with uh, with as as Justin was mentioning, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, uh, multi multi billion dollar companies, you know, household names um, and, you know, literally a team of of developers and a, and a small, uh, you know, small commercial infrastructure. So um, where we are, where, you know, where the company from a macro perspective is going is uh, we've been very fortunate that. Uh, the market at large, and this is what I why I was asking Jackie, um, you know, just kind of what she's noticed um, within our tiny little sector, uh, which is the subsector under Cybeats, um, the companies there, uh, there's been a an explosion of M and A activity, um, uh, an explosion of of uh, you know capital raise um, uh, valuations that. Um, you know, obviously, we're incredibly attractive uh, for us as investors, developers to get involved um, because this is this is like the a market at its infancy. You know, this is this is one day the world waking up and saying, oh, you know, we've got to keep track of what's in our software. And as part of that, there's there's, uh, you know, a million little logistics issues that come with that. The bigger the company, the bigger the problem, the more the more S bombs, the more records to manage. And the more crucial. And so um, with with Cybeats now, uh, we spun the company out. The company went went public on its own uh, just over a year ago. Um, you know, uh, uh, we, we did a capital raise with that, which was really like to get the company on its feet to to um, um, get into commercial operation. Uh, we just ended our first kind of real year of, uh, of commercial uh, activity. Um, now, since September, we've seen this boom of um, medical device companies going going crazy. Um, I think we're like we're close to having I, I don't want to over, you know, obviously none of this is 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 investment advice and all that stuff because we are a public company. So so the disclaimer is there. Um, but but you go out, you read the news um, as a company, because we've been, you know, we're a small cap company, uh, I think. Um, and and in talking with uh, you know investors and, and especially on the U.S. side, um, they go it, it's incredible. I mean, how is there a tiny little company that whose whose client list is the biggest companies in the world and nobody's heard you know heard the company's name? So for us right now, um, you know we're we're working at uh, servicing the clients that we have 
onboarding uh, the bigger companies. Um, we just closed a, a small uh, capital raise uh, that um, um, uh, for the company, a small debt raise. Um, you know, if you look comparatively to the others in, in the space, which which look, this is, you know, as you know, in the small cap market, you know, things don't um, uh, they don't they don't track, um, you know, rationally. So um, it, it's it's hard to get your story out. It's hard to find um, an audience of of real investors who are looking at a company uh, or looking at a company and saying, oh, my God, um, you look at the trajectory of a company that within 12 months uh, basically goes from zero to uh, I don't want to give the number out on, uh, you know, we should all let Justin talk about it as far as the financials go. But, um, you know, in, in 12 months, uh, you know, you've built you've built a, a product, a business that's now servicing the largest companies in the world um, and um, comparable to the other companies within the space. Uh, we are trading now at, um, you know, I think, you know, you know, be, being conservative, you know, 20 percent of the value that that uh, a lot of these other companies uh, are getting, um, whether or not they're private or they're they're public or they've just been taken out or they're financed. But, um, you know, we didn't mention this, but being a small, you know, we, we, we did come out. We do. We're based in Toronto. Um, uh, so, you know, we come from a capital markets, uh, a smaller capital market um, kind of pool. Uh, obviously resource driven uh, driven and and um, you know the market in Canada is uh, is interested in digging holes and smoking weed uh, is kind of the the uh, the 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 big the big active markets um, uh, but in uh, in the US you know you have you have a real tech tech following um, so with us you know the the plan is now the company's kind of scaled up um, you know we're now looking for funding uh, you know, with, um, um, you know, with, with the contracts that we've, we've, we've closed and the, uh, the, I would say profile of, of the clients, um, you know, we, uh, we've got a, a pretty strong, uh, case that, uh, that our company is, is well undervalued. And so, uh, our real goal on that level, uh, obviously is to, uh, is to uplist, um, onto, uh, likely, uh, you know, preferably onto the NASDAQ um, and get uh, get proper situated on a, uh, on, you know, on the exchange in, in the U.S. Um, uh, so that's that's what's happening from a corporate uh, corporate level. And of course, you know, we we right now I can tell you, uh, you know, we're, we're all um, we're all run off our feet. Um, us as Scribe, as the parent company, uh, we spun the company out, as I mentioned, about a year ago. And uh, in that process, um, you know, there's a bit of a handoff of vending over kind of uh, process. And just based on, you know, the the uh, resource needs uh, from a people perspective, uh, the commercial, you know, activity that came in, um, you know, we we signed a um, uh, or the company signed uh, we were a partner with um, with a, a, a something called Project Arrow, which is a uh, all electric uh, vehicle, you know, um, uh, that's sponsored by uh, the provincial government uh, in Ontario. Um, you know, we've um, been endorsed by certain intelligence organizations. We've we've shown up, uh, or we've been um, mentioned at uh, quite a few uh, White House. Um, you know, a couple different White House, uh, um, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, you know, um, um, discussions uh, or or uh, committees uh, looking at you know how to properly get 
everybody on track here. So we're playing with the big boys, but being situated in, in a smaller country has been, uh, has been a bit of a, uh, a challenge. Um, and, uh, and that's really the, from a, from a, an opportunity as a, as a company, uh, that's really where we sit now. Um, this market is on fire and, um, it is just, it's growing every day. Uh, like Jackie says, um, you know, these companies are all, you know, they're, they're all tardy at, at doing this stuff, but when the government or the FDA comes out and says, Hey, look, uh, you're not going to get FDA approval, uh, unless you file it with an S bomb. And by the way, um, if you don't provide an active, uh, uh, a, a current S bomb, um, you know, within a number of days, uh, after a, um, uh, after a change, you know, an upgrade in your software, uh, we have the right to, you know, to, to pull that, uh, approval, um, you know, these big companies move pretty fast, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty impressive, sometimes too fast. So that's, that's from a, you know, from a, a high level answering your question where we are, Nick. Um, and, uh, uh, I think, I don't know if I missed anything, Justin, really to, to, uh, to hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, it was really interesting. So my, my, my prior job before I kind of ended up in this area of work was research regulation. And I, I know that they were pretty stringent on data protection in terms of like HIPAA. But as far as, you know, the research data, et cetera, it didn't seem to have anywhere near the protections that it should have. So it's really interesting to see things finally developing toward that end. So kind of what I want to do here, coming up on a little over an hour total of our panel, is I want to kind of kick it around here and see from you folks if there's anything we didn't touch on you want to give a quick blurb about. And of course, if there's anything Cybeats related that we didn't quite get to that you'd like to discuss before we send folks off into their afternoons, please do. Uh, so let's start here with Jackie and then kick it around to Justin and Clark. Hey, I, um, I'm not sure that I have um, quite, you know, something uh, like a closing statement or something, but maybe something to leave folks with to think about. I'm, I'm going to read from, uh, from a book by Bruce Schneier, a security professional that I follow. He wrote this book in 2013. It's called Liars and Outliers, Enabling the Trust that Society Needs to Thrive. And I promote this book not because um, I know Bruce or because we're friendly or anything like that. We aren't. <laughs> I do know him. We aren't. But because his ideas are so valuable and powerful. In this book, he, he talks about these uh, social dilemmas that we find ourselves in every day and how we use trust as kind of a shorthand for how to work with each other. And there are uh, four basic categories of societal pressure that he talks about that are intended to induce cooperation in these uh, societal dilemmas. One of those is moral pressure. Another one is reputational pressure. Uh, a, a third one is institutional pressure. And a fourth one is security systems. Right? Security systems are a form of societal pressure that are designed to induce cooperation and prevent defection, induce trust and compel compliance. That's really what I think, you know, Cybeats falls into, um, the S-bombs, that kind of procedural um, kind of com compliance component that goes along with the institutional pressures of rules and laws that we have in our society. All of these pieces work together to make us uh, stronger. And so I think cybersecurity being a team sport, it's really valuable for more and more people to get involved, to think about not just their own personal security, but what they could be doing in their own roles, in their own lives. Um, in, in their communities to make us all safer. 
Thank you, Jackie. Very well said. And I mean, I, I wouldn't have anything to add to that. I think that's a really way, really good way to put things. I would say yeah. just, um, you know, you know, a couple, uh, you know, she, she again, uh, obviously um, is, is right in line. I think the two things that uh, I would leave, um, you know, I would leave you with to think about uh, that that's been kind of, uh, you know, notable in, in my world is, um, you know, number one, look out for for the group uh, or for the, you know, the the public officials. This this is a, a problem that needs solving or needs solutions uh, from the top level. You know, it's not something, uh, you know, when we're talking and, and look, there's obviously businesses and personal um, security that you can take care of. But where we're talking here about a matter of national security um, and we're talking about, you know, real high level manipulation um it's about the government. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, we, we have a partnership with um, APMA, which is Auto Parts Manufacturers Association in Canada, um, obviously very tied in with all the, the manufacturers. And, the, you know, you know, in talking and getting just, you know, I guess, secondhand information, you know, uh, you can see it yourself. I mean, auto manufacturers, you know, the, the cars that we buy, they, they don't have cybersecurity on them. Uh, they've got about I don't know. The average car has probably got 15 computers on it now, and they're and they're damn near all connected, uh, but but they don't have security, um, or they don't have the security they should, um, and they're not ready over the next five years uh, with things going. They're not ready um, to adopt, and 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 they obviously have to adopt solutions that are uh, on this on this uh, continent. You know, if it's not Canada uh, or or, or, the, or the United States, obviously, if it's not Canada. Um, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, other solutions are compromised. And that's that's something that's shared by by uh, the top kind of security officials uh, in, in the U.S. And so support, you know, keep an eye out, support any anybody, I would say, uh, in the public that that's supporting that number one. Uh, number two, um, the next wave and the big the big wave. And this is not only from a. Uh, you know, situational personal risk. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, without sensationalizing things, cybersecurity over the next 15 years, uh, you know, um, if you're if you're in your, you know, if you're going to be alive uh, there, especially, you know, you're going to have kids, you're at kid age and you're going to have a family or whatever. Um, it's going to be a, a something to, to worry about, just like having access and having security from a, um, you know, uh, a geopolitical perspective of being in a country that's not going to be under attack or whatever, you're going to want to be in areas that take care of their cybersecurity and make sure that you as a citizen is, is, is protected. Um, number two, AI, AI, uh, and the use of AI systems, um, is, uh, is a, um, I see Jackie there. She just throws up a, a hundred, 100, uh, uh, sign there. AI, it's it's fabulous. Everybody's excited. I, I stay up all night playing with, uh, you know, ChatGPT, making strange uh, uh, photos on, uh, you know, on the photo generator. It's amazing. It's fun stuff. Um, but you know, that's why Jackie, you got to take the mute off because when I say goofy stuff, and it's, <laughs> it's like I, I just, I just love your having on. Huh? You're like, uh, I'll make it some interesting it, photos here. You, get, <laughs> you, you know, get, you, you get crazy. It, it, it's amazing. You get lost in it. <laughs> Have you played with it? If you have, I have, yeah. I have, yeah. So actually, I'm 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 also an artist uh, on the on the Solana blockchain. I make one for one NFT art, uh, not like you know ten thousand ape collections, but like you know individual pieces of digital art. 
And I've been uh, just learning so much about, you know, AI, how to use these different components and how to put them together. And I think like to your point, you have to be AI enabled moving forward. Cybersecurity folks have to be AI enabled. I see at least one person in the audience that I've had this actual conversation with within the last two weeks about how uh, AI enablement is going to drive a lot of change, but it isn't going to necessarily replace people, right? The, no. the job of yeah. cybersecurity is a person-focused job, and, and we can't really be eliminated in that way. Well, not, well not yet. It's, a new, it's actually a new problem, right? It's a, it's a new issue. And, and in a big, big, big way, um, you know, that's where we are, uh, you know, on the scribe level, we've, we've, um, we've entered into uh, um, some things uh, on that side. But, you know, when you consider the risks that present themselves, when you have an organization that has multiple AI systems all connected uh, to each other, learning systems and also tied into the network. And how do those work together? How are they, how are they, um, you know, what security do you have that these things are not mm -hmm. like a movie um, going to come out and do something crazy? I'll tell you, we hear that from, from on the committees that we're on with the federal government. Uh, you know, we obviously ask, you know, what's, what's the next thing that you guys are worried about? Where can we, where can we build some technology and, and possibly solve a problem and, and make some money? And unilaterally, we've heard, you know, this wave of, and we were actually, Cybeats was just mentioned at the White House um, launch on um, AI, uh, you know, talk of AI security and AI compliance. Um, Jackie, it's, it's a crazy situation. I don't know if, I don't know how, how much you're, you're in that, but it's a scary one. It's, it's like literal science fiction movie type stuff. It is. It is. But at the same time, I think we can, you know, develop a rational perspective to it using the experiences of the past and understanding what the, you know, like if we perform an after action review, I come from the, the military as a veteran. So I tend to use the, the after action review as a useful rubric, right? For just trying to figure out what went right, what went wrong, what can we do better next time? Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh for, for sure. It's just, it's about, it's, it's also about compliance. It's like, if we, if we let AI run, um, you know, un, un, uh, you know, unmanaged, like we have just the use of software on products, um, you know, it wouldn't take long to be to be a serious problem. And, and I'm a huge supporter of it. And and uh, and, you know, that's what that's what, as I say, what 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 uh, what scribes into now. Uh, that's the that's the next um, uh, platform that we're working on. Um, but but what I would say is, you know, so aside from uh, obviously being uh, supporting, um, you know, officials and companies uh, that are out there with solutions that that are going to keep you safer. Um, get thinking about ai get look get researching it it's it's going to be a and and not ai is the buzzword which it's been for the last three years where you throw it on anything and and uh you know um you know these public companies bullshit public companies uh you know string three uh three three um you know buzzwords together you know uh add ai instant instant vc funds. <laughs> yeah, yeah crypto ai ventures oh my god jesus christ you know you can't you can't get your uh that sounds your, awesome your wallet out faster um uh you know really educate yourself a little bit on ai and and there's going to be an opportunity for investors i think there's going to be for real companies and identifying them and you know it's not easy doing it uh but for risk capital if you know for guys that like buying stock 
or like investing on the VC side. I mean, I think VCs are, are you know, are, are a whole other bag, bag of uh, tricks. But uh, for guys that, that want to invest in small cap stocks, risk stocks, uh, the cybersecurity space in certain sectors uh, has a lot of fruit to bear, uh, in my opinion. Um, this is in its infancy, right? So uh, the reason that, uh, that a lot of these companies are getting these crazy valuations is that these problems are so large that if you if you can come up with a solution to solve them, um, you know you're you're gonna have uh, you know you're gonna have a license uh, to print uh, to print money and build value. Uh, the same thing goes for AI. So uh, stick in there, and obviously it's it's part of a shameless plug. That's what we do, um, and I'm deeply invested myself and support uh, everything that we do. Um, and I'm a strong believer. I also um, personally, uh, which which. Uh, um, you know, I think everybody should be somewhat emotionally involved with what they do if they if they have that um, if they have that opportunity to be to be, you know, behind what they do. Um, these are serious things, guys. They're, they're absolutely serious. Um, it is an opportunity, but it's also something uh, that uh, look for elected officials to get this going. And, you know, it's going to be hard to put a social uh you know, any social aspect to it to, to get the, the PRs behind it, but it's a big one. Yeah, I would just bridge uh, something that both of you brought forward here is that people take an interest in this kind of thing. We've got that government uh, pressure, you know, that institutional pressure uh, through the regulation that's happened, you know, that's really helped prime the pump for us. But um, if people actually care about what is in their software, um, then that is going to add a, another layer of pressure uh, on, on the companies that are have taken responsibility for providing it, enjoy all the benefits, but don't always actually know what's in there, uh, which exposes not just them, but all of us as individuals uh, to, to those vulnerabilities. So um, I, think, I think it makes sense to bring another level of pressure as well um, and ensuring and you know, demanding that there's some transparency into what's actually in our software. A lot of really good things there to wrap us up, especially those comments on AI. I definitely agree with all of you on that. I mean, the the thing that really kind of blew my mind was in in Asia this week, somebody got away with like a $25 million heist using deep fakes, like for video calls and everything, impersonating a CEO. It's pretty wild. So, I mean, once again, obviously, thank you guys so much for sponsoring this space. Again, that's Beats. And we had Justin here, he's the CEO at Cybeats, and Clark here, who is the president of Scribe. And if you want to learn more about what they're doing in SBOM, you can head directly over to their website, Cybeats.com, C-Y-B-E-A-T-S.com. A lot of really good information there, full breakdowns of what they're doing and what they're working on. And Nick, of course, yeah. I, I have to interrupt because, uh, you know, you're a smart guy. I've, I've listened to, you know, I listened to a lot of these. And obviously once once we uh, got connected, I, I went back. How have you not given me shit about my name? How have you not said, you know. I've been the, withholding the whole name, time, I'll be honest man. with you. What a joke. <laughs> I, I thought this guy's a real professional that he hasn't hammered me on that. Uh, th thank you so much, Nick. Um, really appreciate it. Jackie, wonderful uh, talking with you. Um, I'd love, uh, you know, I'd love to see, and I, and I don't have to participate, um, but I would, I would absolutely uh, love to see one of these on AI. Uh, and actually, 
one of these with software uh, or, or, or on software security or, or, or uh, whatever, but get some congressmen on here, get some, get some uh, government guys on here. Cause I want to hear, uh, you know, what they know and their perspective. And there's a reason to get a groundswell behind pushing this type of an, uh, of an agenda. So um, I'm a big supporter. Love it. Love unusual whale. Absolutely doing the right thing, bringing transparency to, uh, uh, to, to what we do. We're big transparency fans. Jackie, wrap it up. Tell us, tell us, uh, tell us you want the same. Uh, I, I think everybody's awesome. I'm <laughs> I'm glad to learn about your organization today, to learn about what's been happening in that space. You know, I haven't been keeping up on the on the latest trends from a from a corporate perspective because I haven't been working a corporate job recently, just doing private consulting and focusing on my artwork. You know, I, I just want to uh, leave everyone with a positive thought that, you know, cybersecurity is a team sport. If we work together, we can make it better. And that even if you don't have a specific role where you you know, have a title that, you know, relates to cybersecurity in some way, you're always responsible for yourself, for your own threat modeling, and for getting a sense of uh, who you are, what assets or accesses you have, what types of people might be interested in them, and what tactics they've been known to use previously to obtain those, and what you're going to do in response to defend yourself. I hope that uh, that's a useful takeaway for everyone on the call today. Where do we see your art? Uh, at zero x graffito, graffito on uh, on the Solana blockchain. I'm on uh, several different sites. I'm I'm going to plug Drip House. Drip House is the most amazing platform. Uh, if you don't know anything about Web three, it's probably a really great place to start. Uh, pick up a, a Solana wallet, install the Phantom uh, or Backpack wallet extensions that you use with your browser and you can get free art <laughs> delivered every week. I produce art that goes out to 60,000 wallets. So wow. just an yeah, just it's just That's so fun. fun. I'm I'm having so much fun and I'm producing works that relate to the stuff that I do in cyber, to the conversations that I have about privacy and uh, it gives me this really wonderful outlet. So I also suggested everyone on the call find outlets and things that really make you feel good and if it makes you feel stressed to hear about these topics, to learn about the erosions of privacy, you know, greater surveillance in our society, low cybersecurity regimes, low data privacy regimes. Uh, just know that, you know, there are people who care. There are people who are working on it and making it better. And uh, you should find ways to, to fill your cup. So whatever you can do to contribute to that cause is super helpful and valuable. Even just showing up to a space like this today is awesome. Thank you. Beautifully put, Jackie. Thank you. Again, everybody, thank you once again to Justin and Clark and to Cybeats for sponsoring our space. You can check out more about them at Cybeats.com. And obviously, a big thank you once again to Jackie for joining us here and lending us her expertise as well. You can check more of her work out at HackingButLegal.com. So, everybody, that'll wrap us up on the CyberSec space. I hope everybody has a great rest of their day. Thanks again to Jackie and the Cybeats boys. Clark Kent might not save you from crime, but he can help you protect yourself from cyber attacks.